Mark chapter 12. We're going to be looking again at verses 28 through 34. As we did last week, this message is kind of a two-part thing. Last week, we were talking about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The first and greatest commandment. Today, we'll be covering the second greatest commandment that Jesus told us, which is loving your neighbor as yourself. If you weren't here last week, you want to pick up the CD from last week. This message sort of builds upon the things we spoke of then. So you can grab the CD back there in the foyer after the end of the message. But let's read Mark 12, starting in verse 28. It says, And one of the scribes, and we defined who that is last week, came and heard them arguing, and recognizing that Jesus had answered them well, asked him, What commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, saying, The foremost is here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one and there is no one else beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one would venture to ask Jesus any more questions. Lord, this morning we're asking that you would do a profound work in our hearts as we speak about loving our neighbors as ourself. Lord, it's heavy upon my heart that this is an area where the church has failed historically miserably. I know this is an area where I fail miserably. And so probably many others within this congregation now. And we're just coming to the God who is in control of our hearts. The Lord to whom we have submitted ourselves. And we're saying to you, Father, change us this morning. Convict us by your Holy Spirit of sin and righteousness. Show us what is truth from your word. And then by your Holy Spirit working through your Holy Word, cause us to be doers thereof. Help us to lay down our, our um, preconceived notions, our own ideas. Help us to surrender those hurts of the past, those little parts of bitterness, that anger that lingers and remains, those grudges, those reasons why we shouldn't love people. Lord, help us this morning to be free from those things. Help us to surrender them to you. Jesus, you have called us to love and to forgive as you have loved and forgiven us. We need your strength to do this, God. It is a supernatural call. And so as we study your word, Lord, we ask that you would give us faith to believe it, faith to receive it, and then strength to act upon it. Do that in this church today, for we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. As I said, if you weren't here last week, you want to get last week's message on CD. These build upon each other. But today, the second part is loving your neighbor as yourself. And you remember that we spoke about the commandments of God. And that his commandments are for the purpose of instructing us morally. 
Because we're fallen people, because our hearts are desperately wicked and full of deceit, according to Jeremiah chapter 17, we need instruction from the, God, the, the, the Word by God as to how to act correctly, as to what to think, as to how to respond to God and how to act toward others. And so in this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, we're given moral instruction, but very practical instruction. Because left to ourselves, we generally love others either too much or too little. I've seen that. You've seen that. You've experienced that. We either love others too much, they become an idol in our lives. We put them on too high of a place or a pedestal in our lives or not enough. And so God in his wisdom comes with some instruction and says, okay, here's what you do. How much do we love others? We love them as you love yourself. Now, in today's society, which is epidemically uh, depressed, today's society where we have kids in our community that cut themselves as a cry for help and attention and trying to deal with the pain that is on the inside, it seems sort of weird to us that the Bible declares that we do love ourselves. Because we're able to look around and see so many instances of self-abuse in today's society where it doesn't look as though that person loves himself. But you've got to understand the word of God says that by the design of God, we do love ourselves. Despite our psychological objections, there's proof for this. When you are hungry, you feed yourself. When you're naked, you clothe yourself. When you're cold, you turn on the heat. When you're hot, you turn on the air conditioning. If your back aches, you don't stay in that position and go, yes, pain, you move out of that position. When you're sad, you want to get glad. Listen, if one truly hated himself, we would see him naked, hungry, looking to be too hot or too cold, enjoying pain, wanting to be sad. Not for the reasons of wanting more attention. Some people do those things because they need attention. That's even a manifestation of the fact that they love themselves. Not doing that to cover up some wound. There are those that seem to neglect those very basic essentials that we need as people. And when we see that, we identify this person does not love themselves, but we inherently know that is wrong. That person needs help. This behavior is not right, it is not natural, it is not godly, it is wrong. But what is right and natural and created by God, rather, is that we, too, we do, to a degree, love ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with that if you keep it in biblical perspective. But if you begin to love yourself too much, if you love yourself more than you love others, then we're off biblically, then there's something wrong with that. If you love yourself more than you love God, then there's something wrong with that. But the command is to love our neighbors as ourself. Last week, we talked about how to love God. We did not exhaust the subject. We just talked about a few things. You'll remember, the first way we talked about loving God was by obeying him. Jesus said very clearly in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Very simple. Remember the idea of reciprocity. God has demonstrated his love for you and I, and he has shown us that it is morally right to respond to his love with love. And a primary way that we do that is by obeying him. It demonstrates our love. 
Secondly, is by glorifying him in our daily decisions, in the minutia of our lives. Remember, we looked at 1 Corinthians 10, 31, where it said, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. That eliminates for us those gray areas. Is this right? Is this wrong? Should I do this? Should I not? Simply ask yourself, if you go in that direction, will it bring glory to Jesus Christ? That's loving God, glorifying him in the daily decisions. The third way we spoke of at some length was praising him. We looked at the Old Testament model of expressing I love you to the Lord verbally. We saw that in the book of Psalms and in the life of David, and we're reminded in the New Testament of Hebrews 13, 15, which is, therefore, let us offer up the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Now, in loving God, we talked about those three points, and in loving others, there are a sort of corresponding three points. One way that we can love others is through mutual submission. Do you know that it says in Ephesians 5.21, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Be subject to one another, submitted to one another, humbled before one another. One of the ways that we love others is by humbling ourselves before them and being mutually submitted to each other. Understand? We don't consider them to be below us but we're willing to yield to their desires. If if you're married, you understand this. If you don't, you've got a bummer of a marriage. But if you understand the concept of mutual submission, then relationships are wonderful. It's a biblical concept and a godly one, and it needs to be manifest most within the church. But if you take that outside the walls of the church and are willing to submit yourself to others, to the glory of God, and an expression of love toward them, saying, I value you and your opinion then some cool stuff can happen relationally. Secondly, by honoring others, sort of in the same vein, but Philippians 2.13 says, um, do not think too highly of yourself, but esteem others as more important than yourself. Esteem others as more important than yourself. Their wants, their needs, their desires. We are in a living in a very... Um, egocentric society, very much me, 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 what I want, it's all about me. And our society has taught us to be that way. And so we've grown up in that vein. I, more than anybody in the world, grew up with that mindset, all about me. When I came to the God of the universe who saved me and redeemed me and gave me a brand new character, and I went to the Word of God, and the Word of God tells me, consider others as more important than yourself. Not that any of us are perfect in this area. I'm not. And understand that today, as I teach the Bible, I'm teaching the Bible. I'm not teaching me. You that are close to me will say, he just said that, but I, I see him fail in that area. Surprise! I'm a sinner like you. You see me fail. I see you fail. But love covers a multitude of sins. It's not an excuse to sin. It is a grace to extend toward one another as we grow in Christ. But we are, according to the Bible, to esteem others as more important than ourselves. And thirdly, by blessing others. You see how these correspond with the first three of loving God? Obeying God and mutual submission toward one another. Glorifying God and honoring others. And lastly, praising God and blessing people. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, except for that which is good for edification that it may give grace to the hearer in the time of need. 
Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth except for that which is good for edification, for building people up, for encouraging them, that it may give grace to the hearer in the time of need. One of the ways that we express love is by verbalizing blessings to people. Telling them how wonderful they are. God created you with a right need to hear these things. Telling them the good things about them. Building them up in the faith. Building them up in who they are in Christ. Expressing gratitude and love toward them. God has designed us to receive that and to give that. And the word of God in Ephesians 4.29 says to do so. Just as we need to express verbal I love you's to the Lord and to our wives and to our kids. So to one another. And though this is the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, in my mind, it is the first in difficulty to live in. The second greatest, Jesus said, but in my mind, the greatest in difficulty. The first one, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, when we realize who God is, is easy. Because God in himself is very lovable. You understand that as you come to the Bible and you see the character of God and the attributes of God, we see that he is perfect, he is wonderful, and he is excellent. He is altogether lovable in every way. There's nothing in him that would cause us not to want to love him. So for the person that reads their Bible, it's easy to do so. And beyond that, he has given us so much in creation and in salvation. And so we love him not only because of his excellence, but we love him from an attitude of gratitude. It says in 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. And we respond with love out of gratitude. Jesus said, he who is forgiven much, loves much. And so we love God because of his excellence, because of what he has done for us. But when it comes to people... Not always lovable. Not always excellent. We don't always have toward them or have a reason to have an attitude of gratitude. Though there are some in our lives that we consider lovable and excellent, and though we are extremely grateful to them, this is not the ones about whom the commandment is speaking. In fact, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 6 as we see that very clear. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, look what it says starting in verse 27, Jesus talking, Luke six twenty-seven. Jesus says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, don't demand it back. And just as you want people to treat you, treat them in the same way. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For sinners do the same. 
And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amounts. Look what he says here. The command to love one another, to love our neighbor as ourself, is not speaking about those who in our lives are lovable to us or to whom we have an attitude of gratitude. It's talking about those whom are unlovable. Jesus says that there's no credit if you love the person who loves you. There's no credit if you love those who are lovable. That's no big deal. Even the sinners, and the New Testament definition in this context of sinners, is the irreligious. He was talking about those who had no concept of God, didn't care about it whatsoever. They couldn't care less about God, even those love those who love them and those who are lovable. That's no big deal. Jesus calls his followers, Christians, to a higher standard. Loving our enemies. Blessing those who curse us. As it says in verse 35, Love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High God. Do you see that? Do you see that if then? Did you see that? Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great. You might get gypped here, but you get blessed in heaven. Amen? And you will be sons of the Most High God. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Old Testament declares in the book of Isaiah that God causes the rain to fall even upon the wicked and the righteous alike. God extends through general revelation and through the way he set up creation, grace and mercy even to the wicked, and so should we. There comes a time when God judges. That's not our role, that's his. We look at this, what Jesus has to say here, and automatically we all begin to think, how is this possible? And apart from being born again, apart from being regenerated, apart from being made a new creation in Christ, it isn't possible. When you come to the Bible, you can't come to the Bible like you're reading uh, Moby Dick or something. You can't come to the Bible like you're reading some normal book. It is supernatural. It will place upon you supernatural demands and open up supernatural possibilities. It's not going to tell you, hey, be cool to those who are cool to you. That's nothing. It's going to say, bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. That is profound. But beyond that, it is supernatural. And it requires God working supernaturally in our lives. It is impossible unless we are born again. And so when we read these things, you ought to immediately go, oh my gosh, I can't do that. Oh my gosh, that is beyond me. I don't even think that way. Someone curses me, I want to curse them right back. Someone mistreats me, I want to mistreat them right back. And it points to the need for a Savior. When you read the Bible, it will never tell you you're okay. That's not the job of the Bible. It will tell you you are a sinner, you are in trouble, you need to repent and be saved. Amen. Don't read it with the wrong expectations, you'll be severely disappointed. How is this possible? Listen, in these things, the Lord is not looking for lip service. The Lord looks upon the heart. It's easy for lip service. You know what I mean. God is never impressed with religiosity or lip service. He's looking for action. 1 John chapter 3. Remember your homework from last week, which was 1 John, reading the whole book? We have here 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Go to 1 John. No, don't go to 1 John. Stay where you're at. We have it on the PowerPoint. It says this, we know love by this, 
that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, specifically in the context of 1 John, it's talking about relating to other Christians, but Jesus applies this love thing to everybody. By the way, as we alluded to last week, the New Testament definition of neighbor is not the person that lives next to you physically. It is anybody that might be close to you ever. So anybody that you ever come in contact with, biblically speaking, becomes your neighbor. Remember that um, the scribe once asked Jesus, uh, who is my neighbor? When he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? And he illustrated with the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's not the person that lives next to you. It's not the person who is your countryman. It's not the person who has the same religion as you. It is anyone that you may come in contact with who has a need. And so it says we know love, or love is illustrated or defined to us by the fact that Jesus laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. Whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us love with word, not with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. We see there that it is not lip service, it is action. Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. It is what you do. It's along the same vein of what James was talking about in James chapter 2, where he said, faith without works is dead. You say you're a Christian, it will be evident in your life. And primarily, Jesus said, you will recognize my disciples by their love for one another. And the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the Christian is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. But primarily, first, love. James 2, 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? You see, the Lord in this love thing is not looking for religiosity. He's not looking for us to say kind things merely but action. We always see in the Gospels that Jesus was moved with compassion. You'd see a leper or a widow whose son had died or someone who had been sick for a long time, and it says repeatedly, and the Lord was moved with compassion. Compassion is sympathy and action. It's not enough for the Christian to feel bad. Oh, shucks. I'm so sorry. But he was moved with compassion, sympathy, and action. Now, as we speak about loving others, and as it talks about in 1 John, primarily in the context of loving other Christians, many of us within our hearts, though we might not verbalize it, are saying, but I've been hurt. It's not that easy. Love one and love them like you. But I've been hurt. I've been mistreated. I've been wronged. I understand that. But the Bible says right here in Luke 6, Verse 27, but I say to you who hear, I pray that everyone in here can hear it. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. You've been mistreated? I understand. I've been mistreated in my life at times. Somebody hurts you? I understand that. We all get hurt from time to time. Someone mistreated you. The Bible says, here is the remedy. Listen to me. Read your Bible carefully. The Bible's saying here is the remedy if you've been mistreated. If you have been wrong, then pray for that person. Not this prayer. Oh, Lord, get them. Get them, Lord. Just get them. Just show them, Lord. Just, just get them. Not that prayer. 
bless those who curse you. The prayer is this. God, so-and-so hurt me so deeply, so bad. But in obedience to your word right now, God, I pray that you would bless their life. I pray that you would bless them emotionally, spiritually, physically, in all their relationships, in their finances, in their well-being. God, I pray blessings upon that person. That's the remedy. Why? Because now you are being like Jesus Christ, who we're called to be like, who loves the wicked as well as you. And secondly now, as you do that, God will use that to correct your heart. God will use that to change your heart. As you pray that prayer repeatedly out of obedience, God changes your heart. You've got to change your mind about the situation, and God will change your heart. That is the remedy for bitterness. That is the remedy for anger, for things that you're holding on to. Begin to pray in that vein and then let God do the work. You understand that? By the way, one of the most profound ways that you can love somebody is to commit to praying for them. That's the most wonderful way that you can love somebody is by committing to pray for them. If you don't do what the Word of God says here, pray for those who mistreat you. If you choose not to do that, then you choose to stay self-focused. You choose to stay in bitterness, and now Satan takes advantage of your heart. Listen very carefully. If you are obedient to the Word of God and you begin to pray blessing upon those who mistreat you, then God changes your heart. If you refuse to do that, then Satan takes advantage of your heart. And then you become bound up in bitterness and you get a stronghold in your life and now it takes more than you just praying, oh Lord, bless them. Now there needs to be a powerful move of God in your hearts and others to come alongside you to pray you through that. You see, you've opened up the door to Satan when you hold on to bitterness. We're told in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, be angry and yet do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, thereby giving an opportunity to Satan. If you begin to sin in your anger and hold on to that anger, you open the door of your heart to Satan and you say, come on in here and mess this thing up. Come on in here and get me depressed, get me self-focused, get me upset, get me mad, cause me to stop going to church because someone said something mean to me, cause me to even start to hate my God because someone messed with me. Here you go, Satan, come and do it. That is the worst place in the world you can be in. It is to your destruction. Jesus said in John 10.10, Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy. One of his primary tools is bitterness and the anger that you choose to hold on to and refuse to surrender. It is to your destruction. The person that you are mad at, they don't care. They don't know. They're going on with their lives, loving their wives, loving their kids, surfing, doing what they normally do, and you're sitting in your room going, It destroys you, not them. Satan will see to it. It's hurting you. And so the reason that God gives us the commandment then to love our neighbor as ourself is not to sound profound. Rather, it is for our spiritual and emotional well-being. That is why he says that. For your well-being, to teach us, to help us. And our well-being is God's glory. Understand that. 
God receives glory when we walk in freedom and in the wellness that we can have in Christ. Can you imagine if we started to do this? In the world, loving our neighbor like ourselves. Not in word, but in deed. Can you imagine if we started to do it just as a church? Loving one another in that way. This community would be turned upside down if we obeyed this command. Here's what helps us with this. Understand this, so important. Love is not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. Feelings are connected with love. If you love somebody, you may feel for them. But primarily, in biblically speaking, feeling does not make up the entirety of love. Love is not a feeling. Biblically speaking, love is a choice. Love your enemies. Nobody says, oh, I just feel so warm about them. Oh, that guy that mistreated me, I just feel, oh, wonderful. That's not what God is asking you to do. He is not asking you to feel anything. He's asking you to be obedient. He's asking you to make a choice to love indeed. It's not about feeling. Love is a choice, just as God chose to love you. You see, God's not impressed by you. He made you. You understand that? He doesn't look at you and go, oh my goodness, unbelievable. I've never seen anything like that. He formed you in your mother's womb. But the moment he chose to love you and invest himself relationally, now he looks and says, oh my goodness, my wonderful son, my beautiful daughter. Just as God chose to love you and I when we are thoroughly unlovable, the book of Romans says in Romans 5 verse 10, when we are enemies of God, so we must choose to love our enemies. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite Christian authors, wrote it this way. For the millions, love is an emotional attraction. Nothing more. As unstable and unpredictable as lightning. The Bible teaches, on the contrary, that true love is a benevolent principle and is under control of the will. As a redeemed child of God, having been given a new nature, you have by his spirit in you the power to choose to love anybody. You have the free will to choose not to. You've got the free will to choose to stay bitter and angry and bound up for as long as you want. But you have the power to choose to love and be free. It's pictured wonderfully in Ephesians chapter 5. Please go there, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Starting in verse 25, talking about the saying of love and relationships. Ephesians 5, 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. We're all connected in the body of Christ. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. 
Uh, some people are kind of baffled when they read that, be angry and yet do not sin. What? Thank you. Thank you. My beautiful sister was trying to mouth it to me. I could not read her lips. I should have known. I'm sorry. Ephesians 4. Thank you. Yeah, don't let me be stupid. Help me. You got to help me. Ephesians 4, verse 25, starting again. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Why would the Bible say be ahead and go, or go ahead and be angry? A good guideline for when we can be angry and when we cannot is we are angry because it costs God something, not you. That's called righteous indignation. You might be angry because it costs God something, not you. If it's about you and me and I want this, and <laughs> don't be angry. Be subject to one another. Consider others as more important than yourself. Die to self. Pick up your cross daily. But if it costs God, be angry, and yet do not sin. Give the devil an opportunity. Verse 28. Let him who steals, steal no longer. But rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who is in need. Look what the grace of God does. It takes thieves and moves them into giving. I love it. Verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. That last phrase is the key to living in those things. Just as God in Christ Jesus has also forgiven you. If we are going to extend that toward others, then we've got to dwell in the love and in the forgiveness of God. You understand that? The key to being able to do this is dwelling in God's presence, walking daily in his forgiveness, being mindful of it, being free where the Lord says you're free, not holding against yourself what Jesus paid for upon the cross, entering boldly into the throne of grace that we may receive help in the time of need. The key of extending love to others is receiving the love of God daily, continually walking in it, cultivating intimacy with Christ. If you fall in love with Jesus, you will love others. That is the way that it works. That's why loving the Lord your God with everything that is within you is the first commandment because obedience to every other commandment flows from that. And if you blow it in the first, you blow it in all of them. But if you're intimate with the Lord, you have a, a proper picture of who you are. That man, you are messed up. And yet you're forgiven that you sure do make a lot of mistakes. And yet he forgives and he redeems and he heals and he resurrects and he makes brand new and he's absolutely faithful to you. If you walk in those things, then when others are messed up, when others make mistakes, it's easy for you having received that love to extend that love. But if you are spiritually dry, 
and not basking in the glory and the presence and the forgiveness of God, then you've got nothing to extend to others. And this comes for you to be drudgery, misery. I'd like to say that if your pursuit of God isn't making you more loving toward people, then you're doing it wrong. If your practice of Christianity isn't causing there to be a daily increase of grace and love and giving toward others, then you're not doing it right. There's a disconnect somewhere. Something has gone awry. If your pursuit of God isn't causing you to love people more, you're doing something wrong. In Scripture, loving God and loving others are inseparable. They're never, never mutually exclusive. They're always tied together and work together. I want to go to 1 John now. 1 John, your homework for last week. If you did it, you'll be very familiar with these passages. We're just going to read several scriptures, keeping in mind... That a loving relationship with God and loving others, those two things are inseparable. They work together. You cannot separate them. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 9. 1 John 2, 9. The one who says he is in the light. In other words, the one who says, I've come to the Lord. I I see Jesus Christ. I've been forgiven. I'm, I'm in salvation. The one who says he comes to light and yet hates his brother, is in the darkness, even to this moment. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Listen to me. You can be a Christian who has been exposed to the light, who has known what it is to walk in the light, and when you begin to hate your brother, you become blinded and you start to walk in darkness. You may have been a Christian for 20 years and you've been affected by bitterness that whole time and you've been walking in darkness, not seeing all that God has for you. That's what the Bible declares. 1 John, now chapter 3, starting in verse 14. First John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Loving others then, and in the context of Christians, becomes a litmus test for a Christian. For Christianity, we know for sure that we're born again because we love the people of God. He who does not love abides in death. You're still in your sins. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We shall know by this that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. And whatever our heart condemns us, if your heart is saying, oh, you're not really a Christian, you're blown at this and that. If we're walking in love, we know that our heart is assured before him, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Verse 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing to his sight. 
Are you refusing to forgive somebody? It is hindering your prayer life according to that verse. Verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. And he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now, 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love doesn't know God because God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Bottom line, period. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now look at verse 20. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment which we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. I've heard that so many times from Christians, would-be Christians, backslidden Christians, whatever condition they're in. You know, as I invite them to church, hey, come fellowship. Man, it says in Hebrews chapter 10, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But let us come together and encourage each other. Hey, come and be a part of the body of Christ. The body of Christ needs you. You have gifts and you are a part that is important. Come on and be a part of the church. That's God's design. There's no way to get around that. God ordained that. Come on. And they say, well, I love the Lord, but I hate the church. The Bible declares that that person is a liar. And secondly, you just said that about the bride of Christ. You understand that the church is the bride of Christ? And for you to say, I love the Lord, but I hate his bride? God, have mercy on you. If you were to tell me you love me, you, you hated my wife, I would break your head. <laughs> and I hear it all the time. Well, I love the Lord, but I can't stand his people. Spoke to a very famous Christian one time. He wasn't famous as a Christian, he was famous as a person. Uh, he was an on-fire Christian at one time, played in a band, led many to the Lord, had Bible studies, his house was walking with the Lord, got a little famous, got on this TV show, this and that and the other, had some opportunities, fell away from the Lord. And I remember I had a conversation with him one time. I was trying to encourage him to come back to the Lord. And I said, come back to church, man. You need to hear the word of God. You need to worship God corporately. And verbatim, he said to me, I love God, but I cannot stand his people. Bro, you're a liar. You don't love God. The Bible says the two are inseparable. If you say you love God and yet you don't love his people, you're a liar. That's the word of God. To love God, we must love others. Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. The second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. To serve God, we must serve others. We are not in the physical presence of God right now. We are in God's presence, but, you know, he's not here. We can't bend down and wash his physical feet of the Lord. 
And so how do we serve the Lord in that way? By others. To serve God, you've got to serve others. We cannot act properly toward others without acting properly toward God. We cannot act properly toward God unless we act properly toward others. And if you have a problem horizontally, you have a problem with a person, it is a manifestation that there is a problem vertically. It is a manifestation that something has gone awry in your relationship with God. If you are loving the Lord your God with everything that is within you, the natural fruit and outflow of that is that you will love others. So stop looking vertically. We don't wage war against flesh and blood, Paul says in Ephesians. I mean horizontally. Stop looking horizontally. Start looking vertically. Obey the word of God and he will give you the strength to walk in love toward those people. Because these two are inseparable, that's why in our text in Mark chapter 12, Jesus gave the person, the scribe, the first commandment and the second. The guy just came and said, what is the foremost commandment? And Jesus said, well, the first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Why did Jesus give him one and two when he only asked for one? Because they are inseparable. Love God, you will love others. You don't love others, you're not loving God. And the two are the heart of true religion. And I give you this quote. God is lovable in himself. Others we are able to love because we are in him. God is lovable in himself. When it comes to others, we are able to love because we are in him. It's not about them. It's not about what they've done right and what they've done wrong. It's about God and who he is, and his love in our lives extended to others, and his ability to heal us. And now we just finish by reading 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. If you've been to a wedding lately, you've heard it, no doubt. 1 Corinthians 13. This is going to be our homework for this week. We're going to memorize verses 4 through 7. We're going to read more than that right now, but all together we're going to memorize verses 4 through 7. That's our homework. Write that down. It's very easy. We're going to memorize verses 4 through 7. Here's how you memorize Scripture. I don't have a great memory. I don't have a great memory at all. Ask anybody that has lived life with me. They'll say, remember when we did so-and-so, and I have no recollection of that whatsoever. I remember so-and-so. I, I've never seen the guy. I have, if you, you've come up to me and said, Hi, Britt, I'm so-and-so, and I've looked at you like, I can't remember your name because I have no memory. But I am able to memorize some Bible. Here's how this happened. When I first saw the importance of memorizing Scripture, I used to write it down on a piece of paper. My friend uh, Ian O'Neill and I did this. We used to go surf contests every single weekend. And we'd write down on a piece of paper a new verse every weekend. We'd put scotch tape on both sides so it wouldn't fall apart, and we put it in our pocket. And we learned it through osmosis. It went through our leg and into our head. No. <laughs> Scared you, huh? You're like, oh, man. No. We put it in our pocket so that we would remember to pull it out and to read it. We'd be walking around the surf contest all day. Read the scripture. Put it back in. Read the scripture, put it back in. Just memorize little phrases. Don't try to get the whole thing at once. You'll never get it unless you're a super genius like some of you are. Not me. Just memorize the first couple words. And then the next few, and then the next few, and then you put them all together. If you memorize scripture, then the Holy Spirit is able to bring it to remembrance in the time of need. And it becomes useful in your life. This is called letting the word of Christ dwell richly within you. 
Okay, so you're going to write down on a piece of paper and tape it to the dashboard of your car. Right over your speedometer. Then there'll be no condemnation. Right over the speedometer. If you get pulled over and say, I was reading about love. I didn't know. <laughs> tape it on your mirror. That's where you spend a lot of time. Tape it over the front of your TV. Huh? Tape it on the front of your TV and don't take it off. And watch TV. Okay, we're going to read verses 1 through the first phrase in verse 8 about love. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. You see, love is patient. Love is kind. Love isn't jealous. Love doesn't brag, and it is not arrogant. It doesn't act rude. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things and endures all things. Love never fails. That is true love there. This week, as you memorize verses 4 through 7, love is patient and so on, the Holy Spirit will work it through your life. And a situation will come up this week where you've been wronged and you'll remember, but love is patient. And someone will be rude to you and you'll say, but love is kind. And one of your friends will be hanging out with someone else and doing this and that with them. And you'll say, but love is not jealous. And you'll do something wonderful and you want to tell everybody, but love doesn't brag and is not arrogant. And you'll be waiting in line somewhere and you'll be upset, but love is not rude. And there'll be a choice between a good one and a bad one, and you want the good one, but love does not seek its own. And so on and so forth. It will affect your life tremendously if you let this dwell richly in you to this week. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is so right, it is so good. And Lord, we would collectively ask that you would cause there to be a revival of love in this congregation. That with regards to love, you would revive us. You would renew us. You would start us afresh. You would bring us to life in this area. Just as you brought Lazarus to life and then he had to be unbound. Unbind us, God. Of all the stuff that would have us bound up and keeping us from loving others. It's to our destruction. We see it now in the word. It is to our destruction and our demise and it plays into the hands of the enemy. God, deliver us. Teach us this day to surrender those things to your sovereignty, to your goodness. Teach us to forgive as we have been forgiven. Holy Spirit of God, you've got to do this in our hearts. Holy Spirit of God, you've got to come and burn away everything that is in our hearts that's not from you. All that stuff that you want gone, Lord, we open up our hearts now and we say, God, come and deal with it. Burn it out. Get rid of it. Take it from me. And then fortify and build into our hearts godly characteristics. We're here to do business with you, God. Do this in us, Lord. As we worship now, the prayer team is going to be up here to your right, to the right of the stage, ready to pray for you. If you're really struggling, some issues you need to let go, go up there and let them ha lay hands on you and pray for you. 
If you need to repent or just get alone with the Lord, come, get on your face here. Communion, which is up here for you, is a wonderful way to remember His forgiveness.